Hello everyone. Welcome to Powerful Coaching, Pushing the Boundaries to Build Better Teams. This is originally a Scrum Alliance regional scrum gathering um, presentation that was supposed to be done in New York, but since we couldn't all gather in New York, Scrum Alliance has asked that I record this session for you. So we'll skip over some of the interactive parts that would have been there had we all gotten together in one big room, but I'm hoping that you'll still be able to get some good benefit out of this recording. And so I'm Cherie Silas. I am an Enterprise Agile Coach with Scrum Alliance, and I'm also a Master Certified Coach with the International Coaching Federation. And what I do is I work with Scrum Masters and Agile Coaches and other professional coaches, helping them to improve their competencies and skills as a professional coach. So I help Scrum Masters and Agile Coaches to bring professional coaching into their world and use it in the way they're working with clients in order to serve them better. My mission is to leave you better than I found you with each encounter. My hope is that every time I encounter you or someone else in the industry, that you're better off um, for having known me, for having spent time with me, and never worse off. So I hope that I can fulfill that with you today. So today our um, objectives are to look at two different coaching anti-patterns that I've seen in the industry as I've worked in different companies with different scrum masters and agile coaches and a look at ways to get beyond those um, anti-patterns and to embrace the power of actually challenging teams to grow and to get better. So the reason that I originally prepared this talk um, was actually with a friend of mine, Allison Pollard, and we presented it at a few conferences. We were coaching together and we began to notice that over a period of years, things seemed to get a bit out of balance. So there was a time when people didn't know anything about professional coaching at all and what that meant. And then professional coaching started to become a bit more um, known in the agile space. And it became known as asking questions and empowering teams. And you know what? That is partially what coaching is. But what we started to see was out of balance, where scrum masters and agile coaches were saying things like, I'm supposed to empower the teams to make all the decisions. I can't tell them what to do. So if they're making wrong decisions, if they're not um, actually growing and getting better, I'm powerless. All I can do is ask questions and hope that they'll see that the, the decisions they're making and the ways they're working are not effective. But I'm powerless to do anything because I'm the coach. I can't give my own opinions. I can't give my own thoughts. And so what we recognized was that this isn't actually um, what strong coaching is. So while coaching is asking questions, and we should empower the teams because we want them to be able to learn how to make the decisions on their own and be self-organized and be accountable and be responsible. If the coach can do nothing but stand there idly by and watch while teams 
royally mess up or they're not performing or not improving, then I question what the value of having the coach is. So for me, the real question that I want to bring to this community today is, well, what does powerful coaching really look like? How can I work with a team as a scrum master or a coach and um, be a really powerful coach, not just a passive coach that has no power at all? So that's the question I hope to answer today. And so I want to put you in a scenario. Think for just a moment. You're working with the team. You're coaching them and they're doing sprint planning. What you notice is that they're pulling in way more work than they're likely to complete. So maybe for the last four sprints, they've finished about 20 points, and now they're pulling in about 50 points. And you're starting to wonder, well, what's going on? They, they've only historically been able to finish 20 points. Maybe you're even in a scenario where every sprint they finish about 20 points and every sprint they pull in about 50 points and there's a bunch of carryover work. So you notice that this is happening. My question is, how do you respond? What's your go-to today? Do you say something? Do you tell them, y'all can't pull that much work in? How are you going to get that work done? Do you say, hey, how much can work can you really do? Um, do you just watch and hope that they'll feel the pain of not delivering enough times that they'll realize that maybe they need to change something? So I want to look at an anti-pattern that happens. And the first one is colluding. And what colluding is, um, by definition, is to come to a secret understanding that actually has a harmful purpose. It means to conspire with people, to go into a back room and come together and figure out what we're going to do um, that's not good. And the reason I bring up this colluding is because when we do things like let the team make really bad decisions and we don't question it or say something or um, point it out or reflect it back to the team, our silence is a way of colluding. So it means that we're partnering with them. We're coming to a secret understanding. We Maybe we didn't say anything out loud, but we're coming to an understanding that says, I think it's okay for you to do this and I'm going to partner up with you and watch you make this bad decision. I'm going to drive right up to the cliff edge with you and just go right over with you. So colluding is not a powerful way of coaching. Colluding is actually harmful to the team. So some of the ways that um, colluding shows up on your team, and you might know you're colluding if one of these things happens. If you recognize that there's dysfunctional behaviors happening in your team, maybe they're um, talking about each other behind one another's back. Maybe they're coming to you to tell the other person that they have a problem with them or to fix a problem with the other person. 
So there's these dysfunctional behaviors coming up and then we're in the um, team. You see it, you notice it, and you don't say anything about it. That's colluding. That's saying this dysfunctional behavior is okay. You enable weak commitments and actions. One example of this that I often share is I worked with a organization that um, I was sitting in on a retrospective with a scrum master and a team. And this team hadn't actually delivered any work for the past several sprints. They took a bunch of work in, they started a bunch of stuff, but they didn't finish anything. And in their retrospective, their takeaway item was to keep being awesome. And the scrum master didn't question it. He was like, great, we're going to keep being awesome. And so that's what they wrote down as their takeaway. And that's what they went to go on their mission. Um, I almost had a heart attack. I was like, what just happened here? The team has not delivered in multiple sprints. They're, they haven't been awesome. They haven't been delivering like an awesome team. They haven't been delivering like a high performance team. And they just all made a commitment to one another to keep doing the same thing. And the scrum master didn't say anything like, could you define awesome? Can you tell me what's awesome about what you've been doing? Um, what are you going to do with the fact about the fact that you haven't delivered in three sprints? No questioning it at all. That's enabling weak commitments and weak actions. He was colluding with that team and allowing them to be mediocre. And um, the point of having a scrum master isn't so you can just be mediocre. It's so that you can help a team to grow and become higher performing. That's the expectation of your role. Another thing that might be showing up if you're colluding with your team is you're remaining silent when you should speak up, kind of like in this last example. Maybe you um, are seeing managers come in and talk to developers and assign them work and give them work to do and not talk to the product owner first. Um, and you're not saying anything. You're not talking to the managers and saying, um, hey, what's happening here um could we pull in the product owner so that you can give the product owner your work and the product owner can prioritize that work we've made a commitment to the team that we're not going to work any on anything that the product owner hasn't put on the backlog um so by remaining silent you're colluding you're telling that manager it's okay to slide work in sideways into this team we don't actually um, work off of a backlog. We don't actually honor our commitments. We don't actually um, respect the product owner's role. So your silence is colluding to bring about bad behavior. Maybe you act as the go-between in conflict situation. Jerry comes to you and says, I don't like the way Johnny's asks, acting. And you say, well, I'm going to go talk to Johnny. That is acting as a go-between, and it's not creating an open dialogue, an open conversation um, with your team so that they can learn to have healthy conflict. That's colluding. That's enabling them to be able to take conflict and 
slide it under the covers and not deal with it. And by not dealing with conflict and by not having open, um, honest conversations and healthy conflict, you're actually missing out on the team's ability to become higher performing. When we disagree and we bring out different ideas, that's when we can become higher performing, not when we hide behind other people. So if you're doing this, you may be colluding. Um, colluding is also enabling anti-patterns to thrive. So if you have a team, maybe your team likes to work from home and maybe your company says it's okay to work from home. And I'm not um, saying that working from home is not allowable. I happen to be home right now working, but this team is also a co-located team. And maybe what's happening is they all pick just random days to be home. And what they're finding out is that on days when they have sprint reviews and when they have backlog refinement or they have planning or they have retrospectives, they're not as, um, as good as they could be. They're not as interactive as they could be. And they're not um, getting the value out of them because people are not in the office working together where they can collaborate better. By not saying anything, you're enabling that anti-pattern of not having face-to-face -face communication, not being face-to-face -face when it's possible to thrive. And that's colluding with the team to say this behavior, this anti-pattern that you're allowing to rise up in the team and it's harming you, I'm okay with that. And I'm going to let that be. Another thing, the last thing that I'll mention today that might indicate that you're colluding is ignoring the elephant in the room. You know what the elephant in the room is. Everyone smells him. He's filling up all the space. He's taking up all the breathing room. He smells awful. Everyone's tiptoeing around him. And we're all pretending like he's not there. And the scrum master is doing the same thing. Maybe because they're afraid. Maybe because they don't know that they should say anything. But by not saying anything and allowing this big elephant to be in the middle of the team room, you're colluding with the team to continue with the behavior of not addressing issues head on. So I want to show you a better way. I want to give you some ideas about a better way to be with teams than colluding. So another level, if you want to take this up higher, is, is just direct communication. Be willing to give direct feedback. When you see something, say something. When something is not going well, when someone is um, doing things that are harming the team or harming productivity, harming the product, say something. Um, your role as the coach is to reflect back to the team what's happening so that they can look in the mirror and see what's going on together. And this is what they use. This is the information that they use to make adjustments and shifts so that they can get better. I'm not saying you have to solve their problem. I'm not saying you have to take over and tell them what to do. 
But what you should be doing is giving feedback to how their interactions within the team and um, with the team impact the team's ability to be successful. You may use impact feedback, which is a way of delivering feedback that um, teaches accountability and responsibility and also teaches the ability to have open dialogue. Address problems and concerns directly. So I know that it tends to be human nature to be conflict avoidant in many cases. And you as the scrum master might be talking with the product owner or talking with the manager or talking with the other scrum masters and complaining about the problems you're seeing on your team. They're frustrating you, they're aggravating you, you're concerned about them, and you're talking to everyone except the team. A better way is to address those problems head on. Team, this is the problem I'm seeing. This is what I'm noticing. This is the behavior that I am seeing is present. This is the patterns that are coming up on our team. Bring those concerns and address them directly with the team and allow them to figure out what they want to do with them. Call out the elephant in the room. He stinks. Quit pretending he's not there. Someone has to say something. Might as well be you. And then you can model open dialogue. You can model courageousness. You can model vulnerability and teach the team how to build that. This next one is to articulate what's going on. A-W-G-O. Articulate what's going on. Say what you see. Say what you hear. Say what you feel. Say what you observe. Say what you notice. Share what you're thinking. Be a mirror for the team so that they can see themselves and how they're interacting with one another and how that behavior is helping them or maybe how it's hurting them. Um, you also want to reflect back to them when what they say and what they do don't seem to line up. So when they maybe come out of retrospectives and they say, we want to improve this and this and this, but they're not actually doing what they said. You want to bring that out. When, there are, when they have working agreements in place and they're doing something different, you want to bring that out and say, hey, what I'm noticing is you said you wanted this, but what you're actually doing is this. What would you like to do with that information? Again, I'm not telling you solve. I'm not telling you go tell them what to do and be their boss and tell them you need to do this. You said you are. I'm holding you accountable. No, we want to create accountability for them, within them. So we want to reflect back to them what we see and give them the power and the ownership of doing something about it. Notice when the team is going around a problem. If they are um, using the shuhari and saying, we're a hot team, we're um, creating different processes, but the reality is they're creating processes to go around problems because they're not willing to address them head on, call that out. 
call the problems out. This is what I see. You, you know, y'all are, um, you're not getting value from your um, backlog refinement sessions. So you're canceling them saying you don't need them because they're not value, valuable. Um, why, why don't we look at why they're not valuable and try to solve that instead? Right, so notice when they're going around a problem. Challenge limiting beliefs. When you hear them say something like, oh, the leadership will never let us do that. We can't do that in this environment. That'll never work here. We don't know how to do that. Challenge those limiting beliefs. Why are you limiting yourself by this belief that um, you can't do that here? Have you tried? How do you know you can't do that here? Is this a story you're telling yourself or are these the actual proven facts? What's an experiment we could try that would tell us if we could really do that here? Okay, so we want to challenge those limiting beliefs. Play the devil's advocate. When everybody on the team is exercising groupthink and nobody wants to um, give an opposing idea and everybody's like, yes, we'll just follow the tech lead. They had a great idea. We'll follow them. We do what they said. We're all in alignment. Kumbaya. None of us are arguing. Um, we've got the best solution. First idea to come to the table. I say play devil's advocate. Find out what an opposing idea is. Start to look at the path forward and say, well, what will you do if? How could this fail? What are we doing that could be sabotaging ourselves? So play devil's advocate. Take the other position and teach them that it's okay to have an opposing position because it brings out better ideas. It challenges the status quo. It brings things to the next level. And it can be done in a way that's healthy and helps people to come up with better ideas and better thinking so that we all win. Challenge the way we've always done it. If processes seem weird, find out why we're doing that. Maybe we went around a problem and put in some kind of a workaround that um, we could actually fix the real problem. Maybe we put in a process to, to fix something 10 years ago and that situation doesn't even exist anymore. Challenge the way we've always done it. When, when, when we're doing things that don't make sense, challenge it. Why does this take so long? Why are there so many steps? Why do we have to get six people to sign off on this? Start to ask why. Dig in deeper. Um, challenge when people are just skating. Challenge them to be better and confront victim behaviors. It's the other team's fault. The managers are doing this to us. The product owner never um, does the right stories. They don't write stories well enough. They don't give us details. All of those are excuses. All of those are victim behaviors. Um, help them to step up and to not fall victim to everyone else and woe is me i'm the only one who has no power help help them to learn how to exercise their power well if this wasn't an impediment what would you do if you had no one standing in your way how would you do this if you were on the other side of this situation what would be possible if your 
three months from now in a fully successful state, what were the things you did that got you there? Those are the types of questions that help them get out of that victim mentality and into a victorious place. So the second anti-pattern I want to look at is um, the scrum police. And you may know the scrum police. They are the enforcer of the check boxes. I've got my scrum book. I read it. I've got my checklist of things that the book said we have to do. And by golly, we're going to do it. We're in our daily scrum, and I don't hear you answering the three questions. I want to know the answer to the three questions. Jimmy, your turn. Julie, your turn. Danny, your turn. I'm the scrum police. I'm going to make sure that you're moving your items in JIRA, that you are um, burning down your hours. And I'm going to make sure I'm the enforcer. That's an anti-pattern. So the anti-pattern is that as a scrum master or an adult coach, we don't want to be the scrum police. That doesn't create um, a self-organized, empowered team that is responsible and accountable for its own behavior and can be high-performing. What it creates is a power scenario where the scrum master or the coach is above the team and it's pushing down on the team and it's holding the team down and it's becoming a bottleneck for everything because no one can do anything without permission from the scrum police. It's an anti-pattern you wanna break out of if you find yourself there. So some of the, the things that might tell you, hey, maybe I'm being the scrum police or if these are some of the behaviors you're exhibiting. Maybe you're using Agile as a whipping stick. That's not Agile. That's not the way we do things. That's not Scrum. That's not what the Scrum Guide says. Um, enforcing rules around the tools even. Well, the tool has a place for to assign someone to it. So why is nobody assigned to this task? Um, so we don't want to use this Agile as the punishment. We want to, you, Agile is a way to get business results. It's not even the goal. The goal is to get business results. And too many of us have seen Agile as the, as the goal. And we're running around talking about being Agile compliant. Well, what is, give, what is that giving us? It's not giving us anything. Agile doesn't make us money. Meeting business objectives makes us money. And if Agile has some suggested things that you might implement that will work in your environment to get you there, great, do they, those. But don't just implement Agile as a plug-in. It's not a, something you take out of a box and apply it to an organization. You look at your problems and you, you decide, well, what do we want to solve and how could we solve it? How are other people solving this? Oh, look, they've got some ideas. Could we try something like that? Could, how could we modify that to make it work in our world? It's not about enforcing the rule book. It's not about focusing on outputs instead of outcomes. How many stories did you get done this week? What's your velocity? Why did your velocity go down? What's your velocity per hour per person? What's your capacity? How many hours are you working this week? You didn't take in all 40 hours worth of work. 
all of that is focusing on outputs. It's not focusing on outcomes. We want to focus on the impact we're making and the business results that we're getting, not on keeping people busy. That's a great way to waste time and money. You might be the scrum police if you're managing the team. I can't tell you how many scrum masters I hear saying, I'm managing one team. Scrum masters are not managers. Scrum masters are an equal voice in the team and they're the servant leader of the team. And they're there to help the team become empowered, self-organized and higher performing. They're not managing performance or they shouldn't be. Shouldn't be dictating actions. And you know what? You don't have to be the expert. What you should be an expert at is listening and asking questions and highlighting problems and blockers and things that are slowing us down and bringing those things to the team and asking the team how they want to handle those. And if you're running around pointing the finger saying, that's not agile, that's not agile, that's not agile, you might be the scrub police. So how do we do this a better way? Well, seeing the teams as competent, recognizing that they know how to solve problems. Do you know companies spend tons of time, tons of money sourcing and interviewing and hiring the best people they can find. They pay them great salaries and then deposit them onto teams and tell them, we don't want you to think anymore. We're going to tell you what to do. I'm going to manage you. I'm going to tell you how to solve your problems. I'm going to make the decisions. I just want you to check the box and do what I told you to do. That's a waste of money. You can get somebody fresh out of high school and give them that job. You don't need a college graduate that's got a pedigree in software development to be able to just follow orders. You can hire a high schooler for that. So you want to believe and recognize that the team does know best how to solve its problems. And we should be bringing problems to the team, not solutions. We shouldn't be seeing problems, running around, figuring out how to solve it, and then coming to the team like you're the superhero and saying, okay, here it is. I've got the solution. This is what we're going to do. Let the team figure it out. Don't create dependence on you so that you can feel like a superhero. Create independence so you can feel like an empowerer. Talk about outcomes, not about outputs. What's the value we're producing? What are the impacts of what we're building? What's our customer satisfaction level? Not velocity, hours, things like that. Help the team to understand the why. Help the organization to understand the why. Don't just bark out orders and say, this is the way we're going to do things. If there's a real reason why we need to do something, then explain the why. Talk about, well, why this is my perspective and why this is my recommendation. And let's talk about now what, what you see as the problem and what you see as the solution. And if this recommendation somehow fits into your world. Okay, so we want to help them understand why we're bringing solutions to them. Why do they have a daily scrum? Why are we writing acceptance criteria on user stories? 
why do we want to know what the success criteria of features are? We want to encourage experimentation. Maybe we understand the why things need to change, but we don't understand what needs to change or how to change it or how to fix it. So encourage experimentation. What can we try? What can we do differently? What's one thing that might make a small difference? Let's experiment. We don't have to be married to the experiment. We don't have to adopt it forever. Let's experiment and see what we find and we can change. We can, we can change experiments as often as we need to until we get to the right solution. And facilitating from the back of the room. So if you're in that retrospective and you're right there in the front and everybody's talking to you and you're like, Jimmy, what's your answer? Johnny, what's your answer? Jimmy, what do you, what do you, what do you think about that? David, what's your, what's your thing? What did you say? Tiffany, how could we solve this? If you're in the middle and you're facilitating and everyone's talking to you, recognize you're being the scrum police. You want to step back, get out of the way and create a space for them to talk to each other. Let the team surface its problems. Let the team discuss its problems. Let the team solve its problems. You get out of the way. They don't need you to be there to babysit them. You should be more strategic. Step to the back. Listen. Ask a strategic question here and there to get them thinking forward when they get stuck. But you don't have to be the center of attention. You don't have to be the seat of power. Give the power to the team. So here's a model that you can look at that may help you to understand where you are today. So in the left-hand corner is low challenge and low support. So what we've talked about as a better way plenty of that is challenging i'm i'm confronting the team but at the same time there is support that needs to happen for the team so you if we have no challenge and no support um i'm not really sure what you're doing i know it's not coaching um i'm not sure if you're doing anything else um if you're just a, if you're a scrum master or a product owner and you're there and you're just sitting in the team room reading your magazines, not supporting the team and helping them to move further, um, not talking to the organization about things that they're doing that are hurting the team or not helping them be successful, um, that's not supporting. And if you're not challenging the team by pushing them to make harder decisions and to take chances and to do experiments, then you're not challenging or supporting them. And, and I wonder what your purpose is for being there. Um, like I said, I'm not sure what you're doing, but it's definitely not coaching. Um, if you're doing low challenge, like we talked about with colluding, but you're being really supportive, um, that's colluding. You're not challenging and you're trying to be their friend. You're trying to smooth things over, make the environment nice to be in. Um, that's colluding. And that's not coaching either. It's not very powerful coaching. Maybe you're the scrum police. 
Maybe you're super high challenge and you're always there telling them what to do, what not to do, questioning their decisions, but there's not a lot of support for their ability to be self-organized and grow. That's scrum policing and it's not powerful coaching. What is powerful coaching? Is to set up a scenario where you are challenging the team regularly. Not just to be a jerk because you like to challenge, but to help them grow better, to help them see new perspectives, to help them have new ideas, to help them have healthy conflict, and supporting them with what they need to move forward, clearing obstacles out of their way, um, having the conversations that need to be had, being there for their, to let them vent their frustrations and to help um, have a coaching conversation and help them talk through the the things that are going on so high support high challenge that's a powerful coaching relationship and that's powerful coaching so what did you learn today i'd love to hear back from you and find out well what did you learn from this conversation what did you learn from us talking about these anti-patterns and what it looks like to challenge and what it looks like to support and what it looks like to be a really powerful coach and scrum master. I'd love to hear back from you. You can tweet me at Coaching Tandem or you can shoot me an email at Cherie at tandemcoaching.academy. I'm happy to answer any questions since I didn't get to collaborate back and forth with you during the session like we usually do. Um, feel free to reach out, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Um, I hope you enjoy the rest of the conference. Have a great week.